What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been with us for many, many years listening to this podcast. And also thank you if you've just discovered us today. Welcome. And we look forward to taking you on a bit of a bonkers ride over the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so. And we'd also like to say a very big thank you, as always, to the supporters of this podcast, all of our lovely patrons out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you that make this podcast happen. And also to our wonderful Academy members who continue to inspire me and Mark every week. Absolutely. We We coach them all through the month. And the inspiring stories we have from them each each uh, week is absolutely fantastic. So thank you as well for supporting this podcast as well. So Mr. Stay, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm I'm a, I'm going a bit doolally. I've been on my own for a week. So Claire's been away. The kids have been away. Uh, I've ended up. Uh, I've gone from talking to myself to talking to the chickens, to talking to the plants when I water them, to talking to the plants in a comedy French accent. Hello, my little plants, it's time for your water. Uh, so it's just nice to talk to another human being, frankly. Oh. Well, let's see, I didn't realise the podcast would be such an, a, a wonderful kind of way of bringing you out of isolation. But, you know, it's, great. it's funny, isn't it? Because as, as writers, we're always alone in our heads. Yeah. But when you live in a household that's busy and full of people, um, it must be weird when suddenly there's no one around in the house. I mean, I've got, I'm not alone in my, I've got lots of voices in my head and I tend to <laughs> try and put them on the page. But I mean, here I'm shut in this room normally, you know, first thing and I write for a couple of hours in the morning and the door is shut. And then I come out and engage with the world and it's lovely. Yeah. But um, now I've come out of the room and there's, it's like one of those apocalypse movies where you come out and where yeah. is everybody? So, it's and weird, I, isn't it? I live in the middle of nowhere as well. So, you know, a man came to read the meter. I greeted him like a long lost <laughs> lover. Oh, thank you. Come in. It's this way. <laughs> Do you need a little key to open it? So it was. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like freaking him out. You go, I've got the kettle on. I've got some hobnobs out. Yeah, please, stay, please come stay. and please stay. For, not in a rush, are you? I'm grabbing oh, onto his ankles as he walks out asking, the door. <laughs> asking random questions about the water meter that make no sense just to hold on for a bit longer. That's great. But, you know, it's an interesting. It, it, you know, it's an interesting point though, isn't it? Because I think there are many people listening to this podcast that, that may live by themselves and, and through COVID, like weren't oh, able to. Oh, I don't to, know how anyone did that. So oh to everyone God, out yeah. there that did that, phenomenal. But it also makes us appreciate the value of having someone, even if it's a, a friend or a writing group we go to uh, or the pub that we head down, if we don't have people in the house, but to, to, to be able just to talk about, you know, the stuff that you're doing that... Mm. I tell you what, that's the thing, the thing that people most forget or don't, I take for granted might be a bit strong, but 
the thing that I most missed when Jen passed away was the fact that it was all the little banter and the, just the chat. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. don't think about that. Everyone thinks, oh, it's, isn't it, you know, how awful to lose a partner? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the, but the thing that you miss the most is just chatting about, yeah. oh, I never guess what happened today. And, and just, so it makes you appreciate that big time. So I say to everyone out there who's, who has that, um, and, and it's like, oh, it's too busy in the house. Love it. Just appreciate relish it. Relish it, yeah. Relish it, because it's, <laughs> it's massive. But yeah. And for everyone who's by themselves yeah. and, you know, kids have left home and or you might be retired or you might have lost your partner in, you know, any stage of life, um, it's appreciating those groups that you do have outside of the home because mm. it's important, isn't it? It's, I think, especially for writers, Mark. I think it's different yeah. when you go yeah, to work and you're around people all day and you're like, oh, I just want some peace and quiet at home, right? But for people that write at home like you, and then, yeah. you know, it's it's huge. So, yeah, very, yeah, very no, interesting. Really, really, really good. Well, what well, was well, speaking of huge crowds of people, hey, what a segue. Nice. Um, I'm, if you're listening to this on the Monday, on Sunday, 21st of May, I'm going to be at the MDC Comic Con, which is at Quex Park in Birchington in Kent. It's just up the road from me. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Some other authors are going to be there signing stuff. So Kit Cox, uh, Malcolm Dixon, FMA Dixon. And also one guest. So they have actors there and stuff like that. And they've got people from Game of Thrones. Chris Barry is going to be there, you know, from Red Dwarf. Uh, but one of the actors who's going to be there is a guy called Paul Warren, who played one of the Red Caps in Unwelcome. So he's a guy who specialises in monsters and creatures. And he was Mr. Sniff. He's the one who sniffs her belly and goes, oh, mama, wicker baby. So uh, I'm going to be seeing Paul for the first time. That's so, not Paul Warren from Band of Brothers, is it, Mark? Uh, Wasn't he in Band of Brothers? No, 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 no. That's um, that's uh, that's Rick Warden. Rick Warden, Rick Warden was was our was our lead uh, Red Cap. He was so. Um, uh, but yeah, no, Paul. Um, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really brilliant. good fun. Yeah, no, Paul's been in stuff like he's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. He was, Oof. you know, in you know, in uh, Captain America, you got the skinny Steve Rogers. Mm. Paul was the skinny Steve Rogers, and they put. Uh, Chris Evans's face on his face. So oh, it's an extraordinary career. So yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting Paul. But you know, we're going to be signing books and having good fun and it is fun for the whole family and there's cosplay Brilliant. and all sorts of stuff. So I'll, I'll bring a, li- a link in the show notes. Uh, now, as a Comic-Con novice, I mean, I hear mm-hmm. I hear about Comic-Cons all the time, all over the world. I always assumed that Comic-Con was this big company that puts on all these exhibitions, but Apparently, you said no. No, it's, 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 it's like a it's like a generic name. It's, it's a like, generic like, term. I like, did not know that. So you know, folks, if you if you logged onto this podcast day thinking I'm looking to learn one piece of new information, that's my piece of new information. <laughs> I never realised that. I thought well, it was to be fair, big- to be fair, I mean, you got the big San Diego Comic Con, which is the big one, and pe- when people talk about oh, we're launching at Comic Con, that's usually the one they're talking about, and it is it is colossal and did it um, actually start off as a comic conference it was yes. just to do with comics Com- not to convention. do with films and- yeah right. comic convention okay. yeah there's right. always cool. these things always have a very healthy backbone of comic book artists and and comic books for sale and uh, to collect because this was um it's one of these things if you are an avid collector there's boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of things as well. So, um, yeah. you know, there's, 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 uh, tons, tons for people to discover has, there. And it is, it ever, is where you'll make wonderful little discoveries. That issue you've always been looking for will be there has, kind of thing. Has there ever been an equivalent of that 
just for authors, like where fans of authors can all show up into a massive hall and just meet their favourite authors and maybe come you, dressed as characters and stuff? Yeah, well, not dressing as characters maybe, but you do get literary festivals, you know, like the Hay Festival and things I like know, that. I know, but I mean, away UK. from the literary stuff, just like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like not Hollywood, but like a fun, like just show up, have a laugh, meet meet fellow readers. Is there I, ever I, anything you, like that? Read a con? You might be onto something there. You might have discovered something. Well, I just think something. there's like I, I put a ton of authors in the same room and have and how how brilliant would it be to find or maybe just something around a certain genre like science fiction authors or thriller authors. So yeah, that well, that's I mean the, the comic cons, the comic cons tap into science fiction, fantasy, and all that good stuff. True, yeah. You do get crime conventions as well. You do get romance conventions. They tend to be there tends to be a focus on the authors and the literary stuff. There's less dressing up, I guess, because I think mm. science fiction, fantasy lends itself to dressing up a bit more. But um, yeah, any anywhere where geeks uh, convene, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> excellent stuff, excellent. Well, talking of excellence, well, we've got a fantastic. If you like Scottish accents, folks, ah, oh, do we have a guest for you today? One of the best Scottish accents, I think. I really, lo- I just loved listening, listening to this week's guest. We might tell us about who we've got this week. Well, he lives in Canada at the moment. That's the weird thing. He's in Edmonton, right. Canada. But yes, uh, this was such a joy. Jonathan Whitelaw, he's an author, award-winning journalist and broadcaster. He's worked in Scottish politics. He moved into journalism. He's covered all sorts of stuff. Uh, he started out writing kind of an Ian Banksy kind of uh, contemporary thriller sort of thing. And then he wrote these kind of comic horror novels. But now he's got a brand new murder mystery out, The Village Hall Vendetta. And it's absolutely brilliant. And he's had this extraordinary career with some big changes, uh, which we talk about. So, But we discuss subverting tropes, establishing characters in the first chapter, and the role that Star Wars figures played in his writing career. <laughs> brilliant so listen in folks and enjoy this absolutely brilliant interview with the lovely john whitelaw jonathan whitelaw welcome to the bestseller experiment how are you today sir i'm very well thank you very much i'm delighted to be here delighted to be a part of it and thank you very much for having me on oh our absolute pleasure and it's very exciting because we're talking about not one but two uh books today which uh the bingo hall detectives which is already out there and people are absolutely loving and then coming very soon if not out already depending when this goes out a village hall vendetta which features the, a combo i've not come across before in detective fiction you think you've seen it all but now we've got <laughs> we've got son-in-law mother-in-law crime fighting duo which I absolutely love Tell us about Bingo Hall Detectives and how it, the story continues in Village Hall Vendetta. Certainly. Um, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. It's, it's, it's always nice. My face is bright red now. You never, quite, <laughs> never quite get used to it. I certainly never quite get used to that sort of introduction. Um, yeah, certainly the, 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 Bingo, Hall, the uh, Bingo Hall Detectives, it's, uh, it follows Jason and Amita, who are, as you very aptly put, a mother-in-law and son-in-law detective duo or amateur detective duo uh, and it's based in and around Penrith and Cumbria in the Lake District um, and they are a, a fractious couple I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's fair to say or at least start out that way um, Jason's an out-of-work journalist and Amita is a 70-year-old um, pillar of the community mm. uh, obviously keen bingo player and member of the WI and 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 all the rest of it and in the big hall detectives they have to they team up to solve the murder of 
another member, another pensioner's, uh, another uh, the murder of another pensioner of the, the bingo club. And um, they get on each other's nerves. They compliment each other greatly. Um, and what, one of the big things I didn't want to do in loading the, in, in the novel, and novels, in fact, is a whole load of mother-in-law jokes, um, because I think we've all heard them. And actually, I wanted to really sort of explore that relationship between these two people who are brought together mostly through fate, through circumstance. You know, there, there, there's a single person uh, that, that, that have united these two people who probably wouldn't wouldn't get on, let alone spend a lot of time, extended amount of time with each other, let alone live with each other, um, as, as Jason and Amita do. And uh, and that sort of carry on continues into the village of Vendetta where we have another murder, um, this one involving a, a rather a beautiful painting and a local entrepreneur who wants to wants to celebrate uh, and uh, the, the area's local heritage, but finds himself uh, on the wrong side of someone of a, of a brutal killer. So it's 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 all the, the murder and mayhem in the Lake District. Um, <laughs> as much as you can you can you can enjoy that sort of thing, I guess. I love it. I love it. And Bingo Bingo Hall Detectives opens with a car chase that could be out of you know Starsky and Hutch, <laughs> uh, but it turns out he's just trying to get her on time to the bingo. Uh, and, and immediately that fractious relationship is there. And as you say, you don't want it to be a load of mother-in-law, son-in-law yeah. jokes or whatever, because that's, you know, that's just a tired old thing. But their relationship sort of seems, uh, f- you know, fully formed from the off, I think. Uh, how? I mean, how much exploring did you have to sort of develop those those two characters? Well, that's the thing. Um, probably more so than any other character, that, or characters rather, that I've ever written. Uh, these two came pretty much fully formed, and I'm right. so grateful for it. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that that's the case because, uh, you know, as a writer, you know this. You, you, you want it to be as easy as possible, and, and, <laughs> and the more fully formed these characters come, the more natural I think they they tend to come across in the writing. Um, you really, really don't want it to feel like it's laboured. You really don't want the reader to to be taken out of the the, the magic, the environment of the the novel because they think. You know the writer here is really, really trying hard to to make this character who they are. Um, so that lightning in a bottle—it's not happened very often for me. I must, I must admit. In fact, I can't think off the top of my head of any other sort of characters that came to me as fully formed as Jason and Amita did. Uh, and and as I say, I'm I'm hugely grateful for it. I think um, I, I love writing dialogue. I love relationships. Um, I love the relationships with characters. I particularly enjoy the relationships between characters that don't necessarily get on. And that's very much that how, how Jason and Amita start off. Certainly, you know, without any spoilers, they start off that way. Um, perhaps a little bit more than than they do over the course of the the, the books and, and the novels. But there's always that sort of undercurrent there because of the because of the different generation element of it. And and I love the idea of putting two people that don't get on um, yeah. in, in in on the same side, pulling towards the same goal. Um, in this case, and in, in the case of the Bingo Hall Detectives novels, they they have to catch a killer. Um, or killers rather and it's uh, it, it, it's always good fun I always have great great fun particularly when I'm writing scenes between just Jason and Amateur because I think they get to they get to um, they get to they, they, they compete with each other to, to have their voices heard and and as a writer you you want that life from your character you want the characters to have a have, have a life and, and come across as being you know realistic and 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 fully formed and, and having plenty of meat on the bones and and yeah, I, I, again, very, very lucky. I, I was, I was determined, particularly with the, particularly with the first chapter, the opening chapter of, of the Bingo Hall Detectives. I was determined to try and get that that relationship 
across um, as well as possible. And, and it, it was pretty painstaking. The, the, the weird thing is, it's like, um, I used to be the same when I was at school, see, and you can have a look at my report cards. They're not, they don't make <laughs> pretty reading, but I always used to get, I used to feel much more pressure in exams and tests and things when I knew the stuff, because I wanted to prove that I knew the stuff as opposed to me just trying to blag my way through um, you know, A-level physics or what have you, but I didn't, I didn't have a clue. Um, and I, it was the same writing that the, the first chapter for the Bingo Hall Detectives, because I knew who these characters were and I knew their relationship with each other. And I really, really wanted to put that across and and, and hit the hit the ground running. And hopefully I did. Hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, no, I think, I, and if you listen very carefully, you'll hear our listeners grinding their teeth at the thought that <laughs> someone on the show, their, their, their characters arrive fully formed. That's not fair. But I think what you've done there, you've struck on something really, really cool there, which is the the... It's the mismatched cop, the bud, the cop buddy kind of movie thing, you know, which was done yeah, yeah. so well. And you know, you'd have the the crazy cop and this cop who's about to retire. But here, yeah. you've got that with son-in-law, mother-in-law, which is 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 so much fun. Now, Bingo Hall Detectives, you know, came out lots of great reviews, lots of fun. You've now got to take these characters into a second book and. and uh, more to come as well, hopefully. And what's the biggest lesson you learned from the first book that you've carried across to the second book, particularly with these two characters? It's it's really interesting, really, really fascinating. I've um, I've always said that the Bingo Hall Detectives is the best thing I've ever written. Um, I have a fantastic editor in Jen Pegg at Harper North, and uh, she uh, she's the brains behind the operation. I'm, I, I'm just the, I'm just the muscle. I'm just the brawn, as they say. I'm certainly not the eye candy. Uh, which is, is that Gen- is that Genevieve Pig? Yes, yes, yes. It is. I yeah, used it is. to work with her at Ryan, and I concur. Yeah. She is an absolute there, genius. There you go. There, there you go. She is. She absolutely is. She has this wonderful knack, wonderful knack uh, of being able to distill what is usually uh, an absolute mess that I normally send into her and she's able to distill it right down to the bones and make it, and somehow make it sound like I've done all the I've done all the work so so bless her um as I said she's the she's the brains behind the operation um it's the best thing I the best thing that I that, that, that I've ever written uh, the, the bingo hall detectives and I'm immensely proud I'm immensely proud of all my work but I'm immensely proud of, of the bingo hall detectives and the problem that I found with the village hall vendetta in particular is that you've got to do that and then do it again, but bigger mm-hmm. and better. And right. and weirdly, I, I think the Village Hall Vendetta, I found that that's probably probably the most pressure that I've felt writing a book. Uh, piled on, I should point out, obviously, it's been uh, piled on entirely by myself, um, <laughs> not just not just with the sort of expectation, given what I've just said about the Bingo Hall Detectives, but with the, the editorial team, Jen included, at Harper North, who are so, so supportive and so, so enthusiastic for the whole series. Um, but also the readers who have said such wonderful things about about the about the characters in particular, about Jason and Amit in particular. Um, listen, don't get me wrong; it's a lovely pressure to have. It's not it's not real pressure. There's there's a lot bigger and greater pressure going on in the world outside of my study and my my uh, my laptop and the big old detectives. But it is something that I that, that I felt, and I was very surprised at it. I was really really surprised because you know I used to be a journalist and worked tight deadlines and, and and all the other pressures that come with that sort of job. And I really was not expecting it with with the uh, with village hall vendetta. And I'm glad to see, um, I'm glad to see that that I was able to sort of push through it. And again, you know, Jen being the wonderful uh, wonderful editor that she is, uh, we, we, we've we've you know we we worked through that pressure and worked through those fears that I had to to hopefully to hopefully um, 
deliver another another enjoyable mystery. Well, let, let's talk about how, how you did cope with that, because I think that it is absolutely true, because a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, you know, I just want to get my first novel out there, and maybe yeah. it is a series, a crime series or whatever. But that we have talked about that difficult second novel many, many times, particularly if you've got something that people do love. You've got characters that love, and they're precious to yeah. you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you able to shut the world out, or is it using Jen and the publisher as a kind of support group? How are you... And I'd be interested to know how much of the second book you got done before the first book came out, because that can make a difference, can't it? It can. It can. Um, I'm a I'm a workaholic when it comes to I'm probably a workaholic full stop, but particularly when it comes to my writing. And um one thing that I, I enjoy doing it, you know, first and foremost, I enjoy doing that. That's that's why I do it. Um and I think the I, I often find that having the hindsight of knowing what's coming next will help with when it comes to the edits. Um, and it certainly did. It, 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 it yeah. certainly did. The, I, I was given a piece of advice, uh, I think it was years ago now, actually, um, because I took I took some time off between between finishing the first the first draft and, and, and doing the edits and things like that for the Bing Hall Detectives before it came out and um, before I did actually start in the village hall vendetta or what would become the village hall vendetta but that was still begun before yeah b- before the bingo hall detectives came out and um one bit of advice that i got that i stick to and i and i pass it on all the time is when you're writing a series to get yourself back into the headspace of that series take a chapter and rewrite it so you know word for word have it printed out next to you and just okay. retype the whole thing and i was a bit I was a bit sceptical of this, quite frankly. Uh, I thought it was a bit gimmicky. Um, but I thought, do you know what? I'll give it a go. Give it the old college try. And I did it. And immediately I was back in the mindset of, of the characters and things. And that actually settled my nerves a bit. That, that, that I, was, I, I was a lot more settled when it came to... Because I knew I knew that I was back in, 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 in the correct frame of mind to be writing for Jason and Amateur and that dialogue and, and all the other sort of supporting characters and things. And I found that did make a big difference. There was still that element of, you know, exactly as you say, it's it, it's it's that sort of tricky second album syndrome, tricky second book in the series syndrome, and and you know, you do you you you, you any author that says that they don't read reviews is is a liar, <laughs> quite frankly, is a liar. It's like authors that don't say that they, they they say that they go into bookstores and they don't look at their look for their book on the shelf. Is we all do it, right? We, we all do it. It's it, it's just human nature. And uh, particularly when you get nice reviews, <laughs> that, yeah, that's yeah. The, that I think yeah. they're worse than bad reviews because <laughs> because I think when you get a nice review and you see that someone, or indeed someone comes up to you at an event or a festival or what have you and says, I really love this about, you know, Amateur Jason or, or the book or what have you. First and foremost, I'm always hugely humbled by it and can't quite believe that it's happening. Um, but secondly, you do have that sort of weight of expectation, particularly with the next one, because you think, well, you know, before all this happened, nobody knew these characters. It was just you, you and your editor and what have you. Mm. But now loads of people know them and they've got an expectation as to how they're going to behave and what's going to happen to them. And and they'll let you know, readers will let you know, editors let you know as well, but readers will certainly let you know if something, you know, if Amita says something that they don't think or they, they don't believe that they would have said. And and that's great. That's that's one of the one of the great things about being a writer is, is that sort of interaction with the with well, that, the great reading public. That that tip for writing out a chapter from the previous book, I'm 
completely stealing that for when I start the next Woodville book. So Please yeah, do. Definitely. I was so skeptical. <laughs> I was so skeptical of it, and I, I did a one hundred and eighty degree turnaround. It was it was remarkable, remarkable. Well, let's let's go back to where it all started, and I want to talk about your debut novel. Which couldn't be more different, I don't think. Well, I mean, it's called Morbid Relations, and it sounds like an Ian Banks novel. Uh, and as I and as I understand it, it was written on a. You wrote it on your commute on the train in just in just six weeks. T- tell us about tell us about Morbid Relations and where that came from. Yep, absolutely. Um, and thank you very much for that comparison to, to Ian, mm. the, the late great Ian Banks. That's oh, yeah. a. That's gonna. It's, it's immortalized now. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, they can't take it away from me now. Uh, yeah, um, more relations. It came out in 2015. Um, so it's a it's a, a, a sort of dark comedy about family life, uh, and it's about a, a sort of failing comedian who returns to Glasgow after his mother dies, and it's about him sort of carving up the the family estate um, as humble as it is and dealing with his family and his sisters and things like that and, and, and the ghosts of the past. Um, and I did, I wrote it, I wrote the whole thing in about six weeks um, because I was living in Edinburgh at the time and I was working in Glasgow. So I had, uh, I had back then, uh, it was about an hour on the train there and then an hour on, on the train back. So I had this really, really intense, really, really focused uh, writing routine, which is mm. which has changed enormously since then. Right. And changed, you know, a thousand times since then, and and uh, it, it 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 was good. It was great fun. It was it was fantastic fun. I would I would just literally plug in when I sat down on the train, and then do the same when I was coming back. Um, with a shift of being a journalist in in between, and uh, yeah, it, I learned so much from it from the process of it. I, I I learned so much because I think back then I I don't I, well I know that I didn't know what kind of writer I wanted to be. I've always been. I'm I'm always still a, a bit reticent to call myself a crime writer because I when I think of crime writers I think of all these wonderful names like Val McDermott and Ian Rankin and Mark Bellingham and Richard Osman, uh, you know, and I I, I don't I, I still get that sort of imposter syndrome. You know, I'm, my skin's tingling a little bit just seeing those names and then thinking that I'm also a crime writer. And it, it, I've always been of that belief that I'm not clever enough to write a crime novel. Um, and I still believe it. You know, I still, thank God for editors. That's that's all I'll say. Um, and yeah, and back then, I think I think I thought that I wanted to do something funny. I wanted to do something that was, that was a little bit more humorous. Um, and I learned so much from the experience, the discipline of it, the whole process of you know getting a publisher and working with editors to bring it to to, to, to shine it to, to its you know the best kind of book it would be. And um, and yeah, and it feels like a long time ago now. It feels like a, a very very long time ago. I've moved continents since then, which is uh, which is which is bizarre. But yeah, you followed that up with Hellcorp, uh, which came in twenty eighteen, which is about the devil taking a break and creating a corporation. That was followed by the Man in the Dark, and they in twenty nineteen, which have they have this kind of Ben Aronovich sort of feel to them as well. But I'd be interested to know because around about. The time of Hellcorp, I did see an interview where you said something along the lines of, "Oh, I could never write a crime novel." And as you've as you've kind of hinted at, yeah. there is that imposter syndrome thing. Because if you are looking at Val McDermott and Ian Rankin, you think, you know, how are you ever going to write something like that? But clearly, something changed. Clearly, something changed and put you onto this kind of 
cozy crime path. And I say this as someone who's working on one of, on one of these myself as well. <laughs> so uh, what is it that changed you? What made you think that, actually, I think I can have a go at this? I think, I think it was, was maybe turning the idea on its head. I think uh, with Hellcorp in particular, I... <laughs> I, I'd always I, I love cozy, I, I love all kinds of crime fiction. You know, devour. I've been lucky enough in my as a journalist and what have you, and still do uh, to to review books professionally. So it's meant that I've read a, 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 a you know a vast array of different types, not just of crime fiction, but but of, you know of, of all kinds, which is very very nice. And again, very very privileged to be in that position. And I think with Hellcorp rather than focusing on the crime as I had always done. And that always led me down that path of thinking there's no, there's absolutely no way that I can put something together. That's, that's going to stand up to the very, very high standards, immaculate standards of so many great writers who are doing so much great work and continue to do so. I thought, well, why not focus instead of focusing on the, what would happen instead of focusing on the crime? What if I focused on the detective? Now, Again, I've always thought this, you know, crime fiction in particular, you've had every kind of anti-hero that there is. You've had, you know, cops that are workaholics, alcoholics, don't drink, you know, they never see their family, they see too much of their family. All, all of all, all these tropes are, are done and continue to be done well, I should, I should also add. And I thought, well, if you're going to have an anti-hero cop, who's the ultimate anti-hero? who's the ultimate anti everything and it's and it's it's the devil and i thought right okay that 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 was really the jumping off point i thought well what happens if he uh, she or it a uh, has to uh, has to solve a crime and then really from there everything everything sort of spiraled it, it was that sort of spider diagram from that central point and and actually i found it it wasn't easy i've never said that it was easy and it isn't easy to craft a crime crime book um but I think looking at it from a very, very different angle, approaching it from the character side of things as opposed to the actual crime itself. And also, I think we're, we're talking about humour. You know, I, I like to think that there's there's plenty of humour in, in my writing and plenty of humour in my novels, mostly because, um, you know, I enjoy reading that sort of thing and, and uh, particularly moving towards the cosy, the, 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 the cosy side of crime, uh, crime writing. Um, you have a lot more room for that. And again, I I probably find that that's more of a strength of my writing than, say, forensic uh, detail of crime scene investigations and uh, and things like that. And again, I, you know, I'm I, I very very lucky to know quite a lot of crime writers now, and the the level of research that a lot of them do and the depth that they go into is 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 astonishing and it's heroic, quite frankly. And <laughs> I don't know if it's just a case of I don't have the patience. I certainly don't have the intelligence to to, to maintain that sort of thing across a ninety thousand word book. Um, so I tend to go for uh, rowing mothers in law, mothers in law, and son in laws, and uh, and Satan himself. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an interesting point you make about character, though, because even with the likes of Ian Rankin, when people talk about the latest Ian Rankin, they're not necessarily talking about the crime. They're talking about Rebus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come Absolutely. back for Rebus. That's Absolutely. why. And I think character is so central to these things as well. You, you, you said earlier, when you were writing morbid relationships, you didn't know what kind of writer you were. Do you think with uh, Bingo Hall Detectives in this series, is this who you are? Have you finally figured out who you are as a writer and, and the voice and the tone? I think so. I think so. Uh, definitely the tone, definitely the voice. 
um, it's the most fun I've had writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'll be perfectly honest. Writing the Bingo Hall Detective series is the most fun I've had. Um, I, I, I mean, I've enjoyed writing. I, I love to write. I, I love the process of it. I love the act of it. I love the idea that you spend 100 hours on your own with these characters all running around <laughs> your head. Um, I love that. And uh, I really, really enjoyed writing the Hellcorp novels. They, they, they were great fun to do because, you know, how often do you get the opportunity to say to your wife, I'm sorry, I haven't put the dinner on because I was writing a, a back and forth between God and the devil. Um, <laughs> you know, that that doesn't that doesn't come along every day and, and it's not happened since. I was probably told to get in the kitchen and put the dinner on. Um, but, uh, but I think with the Bingo Hall Detectives, there's something about, I, I believe a lot of it is the, the Jason and Amateur a relationship between those two, and and how 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 they they came formed, they came fully formed and came out of my imagination the way that they are, and um, I'm a great believer of not looking a gift horse in the mouth, and if that's the way that these characters have come out and that's the way that they continue to be, and mm-hmm. if I'm enjoying spending time with them and and their world, um, then then why would I why would I not want to why would I not find a home in, in, in that sense? And, and as I mentioned before, you know, I, I, a lot of it goes, a lot, of, a lot of it goes down to, to the, um, you know, the team that are behind it because it's not, you know, an author writers, you know, this is, it's, it's it, it may seem like a solo act on the, on mm. the, uh, on the, the face of things, but that's not the case. It's there's, there's a whole team that, that goes into every book that goes on the shelf and, and all my books have had wonderful support, and it's 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 really really it's really really lovely. It's it's lo- it's lovely to, it's lovely to be able to spend time in the, in the Bing Hall Detectives world. And that's one thing actually, funnily enough, as we mentioned before, I did miss when I, when I wasn't writing them after the first one and the, the, the edits were finished. I missed them. I, I missed the characters. I missed the I missed the world. I missed the setting. And I think there's something about cozy crime in particular that that maybe evokes that, particularly for me. We've had a real rough couple of years. Everyone has. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough for it to not be any, any, you know, certainly not any more rougher than than a lot of other people. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I think with cozy crime in particular, I think there's a very, very good reason that it's enjoying this surge in popularity is yeah. because it's total escapism, it's pure escapism. There is a wonderful comfort to it. I get massive comfort from writing the Bingo Hall Detectives, and and if some of that comes across in the page, and I'm able to do that for a reader, then that's 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 the gift, the best gift that I could ever be given as a writer, really. No, totally. Let's let's dial back even further, because I, as I understand it, you started writing because you couldn't take your Star Wars figures and Lego on holiday, <laughs> and I can definitely relate to that. Can you t- tell us about that. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, it's it, that's it. I, I mean, we used to again very lucky to have gone on holiday two, three times a year when I was growing up, and and from a very young age, my my parents loved to travel, and they took my brother and I w- with them, and uh, which sounds a bit, which sounds a bit odd, you know. They weren't going to leave like an eight year old and a two year old in, in the house themselves, obviously. But well, they should have grown but, up where I did. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I mean yeah, that that's it. We we used to we went all over the world, and and of course um, there are baggage limitations. And I would have taken that thing. There, there, there was one there was one year that I was allowed to take uh, some action figures with me, and it was I think it was Christmas. It was Christmas or New Year, and we went up to Aberdeen for for the for like the week, and we took the bus. We we went on a coach. It was like a coach trip organized or they, it was organized for us. And uh, I had got there was a there was a Jerry Anderson show in the nineties called Space Precinct, 
uh, which was live action, and I loved this. I loved this show. It was, it was on a Monday night on BBC Two. I remember, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um, I got for Christmas. Uh, I got like the, the 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 police cruiser. So it was set in the future, set in like the twenty fourth century or what have you. And I got the police cruiser, and I said, "Please, can I take it? Please, please, please." And my my mother eventually, eventually, you know, gave in. So uh, all our bags and things like that went in the hold of the of the coach, but we had like you know carry on bags as well, and I had my police cruiser in this, and we're driving up the I can't I don't know what road it was that we took back then because this is like 20, 25 years ago now, and uh, every bump in the road the sirens would go off on the on this police cruiser, and the bus driver would have to then slow down because he thought the police were coming, <laughs> and it happened happened maybe about twice. Happened about twice before I clocked what was going on and I kept my mouth shut. And then it happened maybe another <laughs> dozen times. And I could hear the driver at the front bless him going, What is that? What, you know, where, where I, there was nothing outside. It was all coming from this toy that was, that, that, you know, that was a, a couple of feet above his head. And then that was it. There was a blanket ban on, on me taking anything, the, taking anything the holiday, uh, which is perfectly understandable. So what I used to do was, I used to, um, I'd always have a writing pad and I used to do a lot of drawing and, and sketching and things like that when I was younger. But what I used to do was I would write out the stories that I was then going to play out with my Star Wars and Batman and Thunderbirds Brilliant. and all the rest of it and Lego um, when I got home. And I did. And usually what I found was when I had the action figures and the Lego and stuff like that when I got home, it was a lot better than what I'd written. So the, 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 <laughs> it, it speaks volumes, really. It speaks volumes. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I saw recently there's a video of you on Facebook signing a contract like a centre forward for a football team. So, tell yes. us about, does this mean there's going to be more adventures uh, from Jason and uh, Amita? Well, firstly, thank you for that comparison. That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> I am at heart a field footballer, so uh, this is how I this is how I get my kicks these days. Uh, but yes, I, I am delighted um, that there's going to be another two. Uh, at, at least another two, so 2024 and 2025. So the third and fourth, uh, third and fourth in the series, and I'm uh, ecstatic, absolutely ecstatic. Not, not, not just, um, not, not just because it's it's more books and stuff like that, but it's it's continuing to work with the with the brilliant team, as I've gushed about already, countless <laughs> times in in the course of this interview. But it's continuing that work with with the brilliant team, and 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 I, again, like I say, just to spend more time in that in that world with those characters. Fantastic. Well, we're really, really looking forward to it, Jonathan. And folks, until then, Bingo Hall Detectives and Village Hall Vendetta are out there now. Go grab a copy. Jonathan, great to speak to you and hope to speak to you again real soon. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, you know, that Jonathan's voice sounds, sounds, reminds me so much of so many Scottish, great Scottish actors through the years. I mean, you're making references to great authors, but I just kept thinking, he sounds like, I'm trying to place his voice. It's good. I think he's done radio and podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. He had a very good microphone. I can tell you that, you know, when Uh, we were recording. So there we go. There we go. Let's dive in. There's, there's a couple of things we really want to, we want to talk about and, and about really this, oh, this brilliant brilliant tip they talked about which i knew you got excited about when you heard it the idea yeah. of rewriting an old chapter if you're writing a series and i think actually any book even if just writing a new book go back to your last book rewrite the old chapter when starting a new book have you have you um 
You said you were going to yeah. nick it, Mark, and try it out. Have you have you done it? I guess you're not in the right place to do it yet because you're. I'm about to books. be. I'm about ah, to be. So I've okay. just done the copy edits on uh, which is Woodville number four, the Holly King, um, and then once all that's done, dusted, I will start on book five. But I'm currently writing the sequel to the End of Magic, the End of Dragons. Um, so there will have been quite a big gap between me actually writing. Uh, which is Woodville 4 and which is a Woodville 5. So this idea of just rewriting a chapter or two just to get back in the swing of it, I'm down for that. I'm totally down for that. It reminds me a bit of the running, the, the run-up, the running jump that uh, Michael Connolly talked about when he gave us yeah, a tip about yeah, how yeah. to get into. Yeah. He was talking about specifically when you sit down to write, you know, every day, you write, you know, you you rewrite the last bit that you wrote the previous day to kind of get a bit of a running jump. And I love that tip, but this is almost feels like the same thing, but on a grander scale when you're starting a new book. And and so absolutely it's, it's, it's bound to work, isn't it? Cause it just, it's like, it's kind of almost like that umbilical cord between what you did previously and what you're continuing. And there's a, it's just that thing of getting into the rhythm of it. There are the, what, what's been fascinating in writing the end of magic. It's a very different book to the witches of woodville just stylistically tonally it's different it's still me but i do different things in it and uh there, there have been times writing the end of dragons where i thought no that's too woodville i can't that, no i need to do something different with that so yeah. there's um it's definitely a thing it's absolutely a thing and the other thing is if you've not written a book in a series and you haven't got you know a lot of people will be listening to this might be writing their first book there was someone in the academy, Christopher Wills, in the Wills. academy. I know, I was about to mention he was, him. He, yeah, he, yeah, he read, I forget which book it was. And in some ways it doesn't matter. Oh, but it, was he, lot he, the, it was a lot of the classic, it was classic fiction. He, was, was, fiction. he was typing yeah. it out, wasn't typing he? Typing it out. He's, he's, he was telling us he learned so much about sentence structure and prose and style just from, from typing out. And Joe Hill did it as well, didn't he? I yeah. think Joe Hill mentioned it in his interview. So uh, it's, definitely worth it's, trying. Very important, and I think I think as well. I mean, imagine if you if you took your five, take the genre that you're writing in, and take your three to five favourite authors, and take a chapter or even just a page from each of their books, and just write them out, and just see what happens. I think yeah. there's there's some magic in there that you can't quite put our finger on as to why it works. But if you're you try it or something. if you do it, yeah, let us know because we, we think we're on something here. It's another bestseller experiment, uh, you know, archaeological dig going on here. But if you have tried it before, or if you will try it based on what we're talking about now, write in and tell us what you learned, how it helped, what surprises you had. If it didn't work for you, I mean, we want to hear the full extent. So pop, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the contact tab and send Mark and I a message because we'll, we'll maybe this could be a little theme, Mark, because I think there's something here and I'd like to research it. In, mm. in the in the in the guise of experiments, I want to see what this might be because I think it needs a name, and we'll maybe come up with one soon. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Now, the other thing that um, Jonathan talked about, and he referenced it a number of times, was this idea of a team, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's really fascinating, isn't it? Because we often think of ourselves as I am right. I'm writing the book. It's my name on the front cover. Um, I'm doing all the work, but actually when we look back, if we were to look back, Mark, at all the authors that we've interviewed, I don't think there's one single author in the six years of all the interviews done 
that didn't have some kind of team, even if that was a one-person support team, like a Julie. Um, you know, but when you think about what goes into actually getting that book from out of your head to wherever it was, the virtual shelf or the bookshelf in the library or the, or the supermarket or the bookshop, it's more than just one person, isn't it? Well, I've just done my acknowledgements for The Holly King, the next witch's book. And, um, oh, here's a top tip for you. If you're, right, you've started writing the first draft of your book, create a little file, or if you're in Scrivener, create a little folder called Acknowledgements and do it as you go, because okay, there's yeah, nothing worse than getting to the weekend where they say, we're, we're going to a typesetting, we need your acknowledgements. You think, oh, blimey, who did always that forget, Always forget. Like Always the most important person or, yeah. or yeah. someone who's been really valued. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do it as you go. So um, I've just done mine and a dozen people at least, you know, that I had people who helped me because I've got a character who has PTSD. I had two uh, former soldiers who helped me with that, talked about their experiences with PTSD. I had at least three beta readers, uh, you know, copy editor, editor, all sorts of people who helped me out. Uh, and yeah, could I could have done it without them? It would have been uh, a much lesser book, uh, no question whatsoever, whatsoever. These people, or you know, they they give you gifts, and it's up to you what you do with it, you know. And you can yeah. you, you can you can you can put it in your book or not. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think anyone that even influences your thinking around your book. Is worth an acknowledgement because, and the other flip side of it is I think when people are acknowledged, there's something really, because it's like on written word, it's like, it's like printed on paper or it's printed on, even if it's an ebook, it's still there as part of this amazing thing that you've created, this book that you're putting out to the world. There's something incredibly lovely about getting a acknowledgement. It's, it's one of oh. those life milestones, it, you know, when somebody gets acknowledged, in a book, I think it's it's, and I and I say that like from the heart because I, I to thank everyone that acknowledges us in their books and then yeah. sends us their book. It's just Brilliant. such a, it's so amazing, folks. Never gets old. And yeah. So so remember that. Yeah, it never gets old. And I think so. Remember the as an author, the power that you have to make someone's year, not even make their day, but make someone's year, because it 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 it's a way of recognizing people's worth and contribution. Um, and yeah, I think you're right, Mark. I think that we did that for back to reality. I remember we had a list and as we went along, we were like, yes. and, and, and just case in point, I mean, we had so many acknowledgements in our book because it was a huge, huge team effort. Yeah. I mean, you wrote the yeah. thing, but like when we look outside of it, it's, I always say, you know, it's, it's like, it's your name on the front cover, but if you think about the old, do you remember the, the brilliant like CD inlay cards and you go to the yes. acknowledgements and there'd be literally two or three pages of all the people Such whether they played a penny whistle yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever on someone's <laughs> album. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's really important. It, you know, it takes at least a village to write a book. And, and that's another, another tip for people is if, if they, if you're not inclined to ask for help as in every single person in the world, pretty much, that's a really important thing you have to develop as an author because asking for help is hard. Um, but people love to be a part of your project and they love to help. And they I do. think, and like Mark, you said, I think about it was either in the coaching or two weeks ago on the podcast, you mentioned about 
you know, it's about helping each other. You know, it's a reciprocity. If you read some, be to read someone's book, they might be yep. to read your book. And I just think it's, it's, you have, we have to create, we have done in the Academy, we've created this kind of environment of asking for help. We encourage it. We, we celebrate it. And, and because we need to all get better at doing it because actually that's where community comes from. Community is people coming together and being with each other, helping each other, listening to each other, supporting each other. And it's a sharing of that. So mm. if you, if you've ever been resistant to that, if you listen to that and thinking, yeah, I feel a bit isolated as an author and I don't really have any community or have any beat readers or have any people that I can share my writing with, that's your next big step, you know, well, you find know, that community. Do you know who that sounds like? Who's that? That was me six years ago. Oh, I really? Didn't, I, yeah, I didn't have a community. I didn't have wow. a, a beta readers. I'm going to someone else. I'm, I'm going to write it and I'm going to give it straight to an editor. So I never had that. And I was always suspect. To, I'll tell you why I was suspect of it, because the only experience I had of it, I remember going to a screenwriters group, I think in Leatherhead, uh, where I grew up, you know, in Surrey. And I went along... And it was such a negative experience. Mm. <laughs> Apologies to anyone who remembers that. I, I can't even remember where it was. But everyone was so kind of, yeah, my stuff's better than yours. It was a really bad atmosphere. And I kind yeah. of thought, oh, God, if this is what it's like, I'm I'm going to just go on my own. I mean, I'd worked with actors who gave me feedback and stuff like that, um, but I never really showed it to anyone. And mm. it's only since doing this podcast that I've appreciated how much you get. One that you get from it. But also when you read someone else's stuff, it's, you learn so much. You learn so much. And you get, you know, you get something out of that as well. Do you know what I think of it's like anyone who's ever, I mean, all the people that if you've ever done any volunteering, the thing you always hear from volunteers when, you know, they might go and help at a local, you know, charity or a food bank or something like that. You always hear these words. I got more out of it than I gave you know, in terms of what I learned, how I grew through it. And that's, and that's what it's about. When you read someone else's book, you, you might be doing them a favor, giving them feedback, but you probably learn more about your writing, mm. you know, maybe how good your writing is or how you might improve your writing based on what you've been reading. And that's, there's this hidden gift in, in all of that in terms of sharing. But it also, what you just said, Mark, is really fascinating as well, isn't it? Because it, there's moments in life where you have to stop and take stock of where you've, where you've, grown to where you know where you've gone to and where you've grown to because you know it's easy week by week to not see that transition a bit like Mm. when your kids are growing up you know and you're with them all the time you don't see see those incremental like millimeters but when auntie walks into the door i know i always use this analogy and you're probably like i've heard this a million times but i'll I'll say it again because it's relevant it's like when auntie walks in it's like oh my gosh how have you grown like two inches taller (laughs) and we don't as as writers and as people just Growing through life, you know, whatever it is that we're pursuing, it's too easy for us to miss those shifts, the leveling up. And what you just said there, Mark, you know, it made me think, of course, I didn't even realize that, that over the six years, you've gone from being, you know, on your own doing it to like, I mean, Mm -hmm. if honestly, of everyone I know in the world right now, you're probably the most integrated community member of any community I can think of, you know, all the people that you're working with, the BXP team, the Academy, the films, I mean, just such a massive, and going and doing all the, um, you know, all of the conventions and, and book signings and things. It's like, and that's what makes life rich as well. It's having that incredible group of people, um, you know, to help and cheer on and support. And that's, I honestly, I think that's, 
part of the elixir of life, Mark, right there. I think it's right. Well, it's, in, it's what makes life um, sort of brings valuable. Us back, yeah, it sort of brings us back to the beginning of the show where I was talking about being on my own and I'm doing all my stuff on my own in here. And when I walk out there, if there's no one else in the house, there's a part of me thinking, oh, what's the point? <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> it's like that classic thing about, you know, what would you do if you were on your own on a desert island, mm. you know? And, and all the teenagers, <laughs> all the teenagers in the recent, reasonably recent survey said, you know, what, what one item would they bring? They said their mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> Not realising, of course, that there's going to be naffle reception of, on a, in a desert <laughs> island in the middle of nowhere. But it's this idea of I need connection, right? If I'm by myself, what do you most need? Oh, I need connection. I need other yeah. people to at least yeah, yeah, yeah. chat with. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. But folks, if you've enjoyed this, we're going to get even deeper. Oh, I can see, I can feel it coming, Mark. Um, we, we know we've got a big, really important thing. If you like the idea of how to establish characters, Mark's going to run through some top tips in the extended edition of this podcast. Mark's tips for establishing characters, which is something that Jonathan talked about. Um, we're going to we're going to deep dive into that. Also, we're going to we're going to talk about this idea of uh, comparing yourself to other writers, especially your heroes. Mm. Um, there's something I want to share about that, which is pretty fascinating from a psychological point of view. Um, we're also going to look at the turning points in your career as a writer in your journey as a writer, um, referencing Jonathan's um, space trooper um, yeah. <laughs> story about when he was on the bus, uh, you know, thinking about when those moments have happened for you, or what those moments might be for you in your future. We're going to dial into that. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about milestones um, and the importance of celebrating those milestones. Um, and we've got a new one to add to the list. So check that out. If you'd like to join us for the extended edition, it's for patrons and academy members. And uh, to get that, you simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, sign up to become a patron, uh, and you will get all of these great goodies, including the extended edition. So Mark, what's happening on social media this week? Social media, got a lovely one from Susie Edge. Now, uh, Susie Edge, she did a deep dive with us uh, talking about how uh, she used TikTok to sort of drive pre-orders for a book, Mortal Monarchs. Well, she's got another book coming uh, later in the year. But the other thing she's been doing, she's she says, I've got a slightly weird tangent win to share. She said, I've been listening to the chat about author's income and even thinking about going back to work as things, you know, can be really, really tough. And then she said, I had to think about extra income streams. I made a mug and T-shirt design and launched with an international print-on-demand service and Shopify store, thinking it might be fun. Maybe make a few extra quid. Well, I've hit 10,000 units worth of orders in less than a week. It's good, what? but a shock. Yeah. 10,000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, she says, the thing is, even with print on demand, you still have to outlay for those. So you have to have money to begin with. Yeah. She says, I, I'm, I'm lucky I did. But yeah, I definitely was expecting that to happen. And she says, for sure, that's because of the TikTok effect and the following that she's built there. But it can work. So uh, it is absolutely that's amazing. mind-blowing. So, yeah. And it's, it's brilliant. The mug, you know, it shows someone being decapitated. And it says, but it was okay because he had a son. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and it's, it's, it's classic. It's Susie's kind of brand. You know, this is this uh, hilarious kind of take on history. And um, it's brilliant. And we are getting Susie back later this year. Uh, we've booked her for a book, Vital Organs, which is coming in September. I made sure this is the thing, like Susie, you know, 
if if you if you listen to the deep dive, we had no idea how Mortal Monarchs was going to do, and it's been this massive smash hit. So I've been going to Susie, go, can you come back on the podcast, please, before <laughs> everyone else snaps you up? Uh, so absolute Love mega it. star. So yeah, congrats on that, Susie. That was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and yes, just more and more people are doing the 200 words right every day in May challenge. So we've got Phil Oddy wrote 363 words today in which nothing really happened, but you could cut the tension with a knife. So my favorite kind of scene, so excellent stuff there. And then we've got uh, Alyssa Eakins, who we did mention previously. And I just want to give her a quick mention because she said, there I was cleaning the crud of my chicken eggs with my headphones on. Now, I read that as cleaning the crud off her chicken eggs with her headphones, which is a bad idea. But I, I, I totally hear you, Alyssa, because we have chickens and you know we leave the crud on, actually. And she said, when I heard my name mentioned on the podcast... And she, again, is doing the 200 words a day, right every day in May. Um, folks, it's easy to do this. It's free to do this. It's just write 200 words a day, every day in May. It's going to transform the way you write. I've been doing it. I've been having a May like no other. The words have really, really been stacking up. So um, I'm in that kind of first draft euphoria at the moment. So it's really working for me. Love it. So, yeah. First draft euphoria. That's got a lovely yeah. ring to it, isn't it? It's, it's Absolutely brilliant. And next week, folks, if you are doing 200 words a day in May, we're going to have a bit of a roll call as we're coming towards the end of May uh, next week. We will, if, so if you've been, if you've been, if you've been like submitting your words, pop into the uh, podcast next week to maybe hear your name shouted out. So folks, thank you so much for listening today. It's been an absolute pleasure journeying with you and we all wish you an amazing, amazing, amazing writing week over the next seven days. We'll be back next week. But Mark, before we go, if people like to get in contact with us or pop us a note on socials, where can they find us? Yes, we are on Facebook as Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram as at Bestseller XP. And listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, if you listen to Jonathan, you've been inspired, then give us a rating. Uh, pop along to wherever you get your podcast from. There'll be some sort of rating thingy there. Five stars would be nice. That would be good. That makes us more visible. It's not for us. It's for all the writers out there listening who will <laughs> be able to find us and get inspired. It's not for us, is it, Miss? No, it's not. Nothing for us. It's no, not, not honestly. No, no. No, 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 no. So, uh, yeah, do that if you can, uh, or review, be nice. Uh, and a big thank you to our editors, JD and Dave, uh, who have a lot to do this week. <laughs> they certainly do. And also, if you'd like to get our weekly newsletter uh, telling you all about the podcast that's coming out, what we both learned from it and what you can learn from it as well, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter tab in the navigation pop your email address in there and we'll make sure to send you that regular newsletter and if you've been inspired by our 200 words a day in may uh, participants uh, you can still keep still write it's never never too never too late to start writing so pop along to 200wordchallenge.com to sign up and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the week so it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two all on his own Good <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>